0: Chapter 3. The Serpent Key. The Doctrine of Sin. You turn the key, and the young cosmos gives way to a perfect garden. It's like a dream. No plant is out of place. No tree limb is too long, and no flower petal is missing. Everything you've ever wanted or needed seems to be within reach. For the first time, you feel perfectly content. You're calm and happy to be exactly where you are. You can't even think of anywhere you'd rather be. It's like being on a long, long journey and finally getting back home. That is until you hear that wise and familiar voice behind you say, The Origins of Sin. Your problem begins with a serpent. Your problem starts with a serpent. The serpent wanted the king's throne, but soon realized he wasn't powerful enough to bring the king down. The king was and is too perfect, too holy, too loving, and too happy within himself. Nothing could pull God off course. He would have his divine way, no matter how hard the snake tried. If the serpent found what he thought to be a loophole, a mistake in God's plan, you will soon learn that the perfect king makes no mistakes that mistake, according to the serpent, was Adam and his beautiful wife Eve. The first couple was everything the serpent hated about the king. The king made them beautiful, innocent, and satisfied with the king and his blessings. He planted them in Eden, a lush garden, and then gave them the keys to his paradise. The king loved Adam and Eve, the high and holy one, even step off his throne to serve, love, and draw near to his creation. Even more, the king designed Adam and Eve to reflect his image to the rest of the world. He made them to rule over his creation. He created them to find their utmost joy in worshiping, experiencing, and loving him above all things. The king had given Adam and Eve everything. He gave the first couple his world, and he gave them their purpose in his world. Everything was theirs with one condition. They must not eat from the death-giving tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This rule was not an empty threat or a cruel joke. It was a reminder. As strange as it may seem, this rule shows us that God is the world's greatest joy, not the gifts the king had so freely given. The fruit was good, but the creator and sustainer of the fruit was better. The king set this rule to align our lives with him so that we may know him rightly and enjoy his gifts in light of who he is. One thing is for sure, this condition, this moral requirement, this off-limits tree was the devil's way in. The tree was a way to demonstrate obedience and hope in the king, but the snake could ruin it all if he could make Adam do the opposite. The tree and its tempting fruit could drive a nail into Adam and Eve's relationship with their king. And with Adam gone, perhaps, just perhaps, the serpent could slither his way onto the king's throne. It was a long shot, but the serpent was willing to risk it. Adam and Eve were not exactly like their king, which might make them vulnerable enough to fall under the snake's dark enchantment. In an ironic twist that only a snake could love, The serpent commenced his terrorist plot. If the serpent could just get the first man to reject his creator as king, then the serpent could break the world from Eden to its edges. The serpent slinked into God's perfect garden and began his assault in the shadows near the forbidden tree. He found his first victim. Just outside the darkness stood Eve and her God-made beauty. His first step? subvert God's very good design by targeting Eve first, then Adam. Though Adam was the representative of all of humanity, and if he broke, the rest of creation would too, the serpent knew a full frontal attack on Adam would fail. But Eve's beauty and love could make the bitterest fruit sweet to Adam's taste. It was time. The serpent stepped out of the shadows into Eve's gaze. Immediately, he was struck by how much the king's image was etched in her. He felt the painful reminder that no matter how hard he tried, he would never escape the king, especially in the king's kingdom. Everything bore his divine fingerprints. Everything sang of his glory. Yet what was supposed to stir worship now just gave rise to hate. Standing before Eve, he realized that he hated Adam and Eve almost as much as he hated the king, almost. He hated that they were different, that they were innocent, that God cared for them so much, that they blindly obeyed their king, that they found rest in his love, that they reflected his beauty, that they received so much from him, that they took it all for granted and that they ruled over everything none of which was their own. He restrained himself and calmly poured all of this anger into his first poisonous question for Eve. Did your king really tell you that you couldn't eat from this tree? Eve stumbled. This was the first foreign voice she had heard outside of Adam's and her creators, and it was questioning everything that she thought was unquestionable. Unaware of the war the serpent just waged against her and her king, she answered with a clarification, We can eat from every tree in the garden, except the one that we are not supposed to even touch. But her answer betrayed her. Eve didn't run from the deceiver. She tried to answer him. Eve didn't seek Adam's help. She answered for him instead. Eve didn't speak about God personally. She only talked about his gifts in light of his command. Eve set out to correct the serpent. The king was not withholding everything from her, just the tree that led to certain deaths. Yet instead of correction, she made a way for sin to enter the world. She had fallen into the trap. She engaged in debate with him. She forgot her husband and their union, and she began to see only the king's gifts, especially those she couldn't have rather than the king himself. A little more poison. If the serpent could just get Eve to believe him rather than her king. Oh, Eve, you will surely not die. Rather, your king knows that when you eat from this tree, your eyes will finally be opened. And then the final injection. When you eat from this tree, you will be like God there it was the serpent had done it he used the beautiful differences between the king and his image bearers to fracture the world even though adam and eve shined with god's image and were more like god than anything in all of the king's creation both were ready to trade their king and his paradise for the fruit and its little lies the outlawed tree's fruit was all that was good beautiful and true to Eve, and she gave in. Eve took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate, two for one, just as planned. Eve did the dirty work and got Adam to eat the fruit. As the representative of all humanity, Adam's sin fractured his life and the entire world, then and there and here and now with a pinch of temptation, a dash of persuasion, and a pile of deceit. The serpent sweet-talked Adam and Eve into giving up everything they needed for the one thing they never did. They sold their legacy, birthright, future, purpose, hope, dream, peace, and innocence for a bite of forbidden fruit. The stain of sin, poison poured into the garden poison poured into the garden and the rest of creation. But don't be fooled. The poison didn't come from the fruit. It came from Adam. It wasn't that God's gifts weren't enough for Adam. It was that God wasn't enough for Adam. The fruit wasn't off-limits because it could kill. It was off-limits because it offered God-like knowledge without God. In taking the fruit, Adam, in a way, tried to pickpocket God, all while forgetting that God had already given him everything in his entire kingdom. The serpent was right about one thing. Everything changed. What was once right now seemed wrong. What was once false now seemed true. New feelings flooded into Adam and Eve. Anger churned. Tears burned. Relationships broke. Grief and shame crushed. Everything had changed, but for the worse, Adam's sin messed up everything, not only for him, but for you too. Adam's story helps you understand your own story. Adam's story shows you why you don't always get along with your brother or sister or friends. It is why you get angry with your parents sometimes. It explains why you feel sad and why you cry, even if you're good at hiding your tears. Adam wasn't just the first man or your first ancestor. He was also your representative before God. This means that whatever Adam did in the garden would affect everyone who followed him, including you. So when Adam chose to rebel against God, every human, everyone carrying the beautiful image of God was stained by Adam's sin. Adam is not just a warning or a bad example that you shouldn't follow. He isn't just another myth about how the world begins and why it feels so wrong all the time. His story isn't some lesson your parents made up to get you to obey them and eat your vegetables. No, Adam was real and so was his disobedience. He rebelled against the king in the very good garden and seared his heart and the hearts of all image bearers after him with sin. Adam's disease plagues everyone and everything to this very day, everyone and everything. Just ask Cain and Abel, ask Noah and his sons, ask the architects of Babel's tower, ask Moses and Joshua and Israel's judges, ask her prophets and her priests and her kings. And if you still don't think that Adam's sin has anything to do with you, then just ask the Apostle Paul. He holds up a mirror to us when he writes, Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Romans 5.12 is the problem everyone must face because as paul writes all are under sin as it is written none is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks for god romans 3 9-11 and if you don't believe paul just go ahead and ask your parents ask them if they have any regrets or guilt or shame or if they have ever been wronged or wronged someone else. If they are honest, which is sometimes hard for us to be, another example of sin, we will probably have a very long conversation. But you don't even need to ask anyone, really, do you? You probably already know sin personally. Has sin ever crept up on you? Have you ever felt pride and anger burn you up from the inside? Have you ever wondered why you don't always get along with your family? Or have you ever done something you knew you weren't supposed to do? Have you ever cringed because you relate better to the bad guys in your favorite books or movies? This is because Adam's sin stained your heart. You carry the sin disease Adam passed on to you. This is one of the greatest results of sin. Not only does your sin make you a sinner, but you sin because you're a sinner. The Results of Sin Sin changes everything. But this isn't the only consequence. In fact, sin's poison has seeped into everything in God's once perfect creation. First, sin breaks the world. Adam's rebellion contaminates all of creation. Sin is why green grass turned brown, crops turn to dust, rivers run dry, and gardens become deserts. With a bite of fruit, Adam's world fell under a curse, and to this day, creation groans to be remade. Romans 8, 19-22. Adam's sin cursed the ground, and your sin still puts you at odds with creation. You water the ground with your sweat. You rule creation through pain. The world used to be where we found joy, but now it's what you fight against for joy. Sin, then, is why you always have to pull weeds in the heat of summer. Why schoolwork is so difficult and never-ending. And why winters feel so bleak and gray. And here is the dreariest news of all. At the end of your life, the ground wins. Because sin brings death, everyone born after Adam will return to the dust. And here's the strange thing. Adam's children tend to fall in love with the world's ruins. Many exchange the love meant for their Creator for their misplaced love of creation. Sin twists us up so much that it can make you worship the ground that demands your sweat, is a major source of your pain, and will eventually become your grave. Second, sin breaks you. As if this weren't bad enough, sin not only corrodes creation, it also corrodes you from the inside. It eats away at your loves, hopes, and dreams. Sin mixes them all up and puts them back in the wrong place. It twists the way you feel about yourself, others, and, well, everything. What are the first feelings Adam and Eve feel after their rebellion? Fear, shame, and guilt emotions that were never felt in Eden before the serpent's forked tongue lies. Outside of this garden, then, our hearts are still topsy-turvy. Half the time, you don't know how to feel, and the rest of the time, your feelings are wrong. Even your desires and hopes don't work right. But the problem isn't with your heart wanting things. No, the king made you to desire. The problem is with what you long for, Ever since, Adam, you desire the wrong things. You've quietly made the world all about you. But the world doesn't work this way. It can't. If everyone thinks that everything centers on him or her, then the world has no real center. The king, though, made the world for something bigger and better than your selfishness. He made everything about him, which means that you and your desires, make sense only when the king reigns at the center of your life and heart. Sin's power is that it blinds you to this true joy. It makes you like the son who tries to take over his parents' bank account after beating them at Monopoly for the first time. The son won the game, but missed the point. He's forgotten why the game exists. He's forgotten that his parents bought him the game with their real, not Monopoly money to enjoy time with their son. Likewise, sin makes you forget that everything you have, the king gave you so that you might enjoy him. Your temptation will always be to desire the king's kingdom while hating the king. Now, if you wanna know if you really struggle with misplaced desires, just ask yourself what you think about most of the day or what you do with your free time. Is it video games? Your phone? What others think about you? Fashion? Maybe it's something else, but often it's something other than your king, isn't it? These things aren't sinful themselves, but when they replace the king, they reveal that you are sinful. Sin infects your heart and your head too. Maybe you've seen this before. Have you ever watched someone use his smarts to come up with a brilliantly bad way to cheat off someone else's homework rather than just use his smarts for his own work? Or maybe you've used your own brain power to trick others to do what you want them to do. Perhaps you've used your smarts to try to even outsmart your king, the king who gave you your smarts to begin with. Sin messes with your head, it turns your good sense inside out and upside down. It's how you know that everyone is a sinner, but you never think of yourself as one. It's why you see other people's sins so easily, but can't see that same sin in your own heart. Sin doesn't make sense. And because of this, it poisons everything, including your relationship with other sinners. After falling into temptation, Adam and Eve's sin spreads to each other. Eve doesn't want to be Adam's helper, and Adam wants to blame Eve for everything. What else would happen when two people poisoned by sin try to relate to one another? Sooner or later, you will hurt those you love, and they will hurt you. Sin is why you have to say you are sorry it's also why your friends don't always seem to be your friends and why it's so hard to say nice things to your family sometimes sin messes up everything in the world in you and in your relationships with other sinners third sin breaks your relationship with the king this is sin's biggest nightmare ever since the first temptation God's image bearers have been trying to hide from the very one whose image they bear. After the fruit incident, Adam and Eve ran away from their king when they should have run to him. He was and is the only answer to all the problems their rebellion created and the problems our rebellion continues to create. People are still hiding from the only one who can rescue them from their sin. There is a big problem though, The king, in his perfect holiness, can't and won't have sin near him. The king will not stand for rebellion. He does not allow rebels in his kingdom. Something has to be done. And the king does just that. Where Adam's sin ripped a hole in the world, the king filled it with fitting curses and punishments. And grace, more on that soon. The king warned Adam and Eve from the beginning, If you eat the forbidden fruit, you get death. And so with Adam's bite, death entered into God's perfect creation. First on the scene was spiritual death, which simply means that Adam and everyone after him stand separated from the love, life, and light of the king. Because of spiritual death, Adam and Eve can't stay in Eden. The special place of the king's presence and neither can you. Like the first couple, you stand outside of the king's love if you are still in rebellion against him. Spiritual death leads to physical death. sin puts life on this earth on a timer. Your life is like a clock running out of time before the alarm. Soon, sin's ugly friend, physical death, will be waiting to take you out of this world. No one can avoid death because no one has avoided sin. And yet physical death is not the end end. It's like the end of the beginning or the end of the first book in your favorite series of books. Life continues after death, but the life to come is different. It is eternal. This means those who suffer spiritual death now will be separated from the King, the one you were made to delight in, the only one who offers eternal joy and hope, not only in this life, but in the forever life to come. Sin changes everything, especially your relationship with the King in this world and the next. The answer to sin. The King turns your darkness into light. This serpent key unlocks a dark, dark truth about yourself about your world, and about everyone else, that the king, motivated by his huge love, can turn your darkness into light. For it is against this darkness that his beauty shines in full brilliance. Sin is not the end of your story, or at least it doesn't have to be. While the serpent, sin, and shame shout their demands, God graciously writes a better story by writing his word into his world. And with overwhelming mercy, the king turns your curses and punishments into the true hope that actually heals you. You read that right. The king uses the dreadful curses you earned to give you his perfect promises you don't deserve. He turns sin's power into sin's defeat. While punishing sin in Genesis 3, the king hints at his grace. He promises to send a child one of Adam and Eve's great, 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 etc., grandchildren into his world to unbreak his world. This son will make everything right again by killing the serpent. By being crushed by spiritual and physical death himself, this promised one will crush the head of the serpent, destroy sin, and conquer death once and for all. To draw out sin's poison, the king sends his son to drink the poison so you don't have to. Turn the next key and watch what the king does.